Mount Gox, the very mention of the now defunct exchange, brings shivers to the Bitcoin world and tears to those who lost their crypto in 2014. But all is not lost, says Brock Pierce. In fact, Brock's on a mission to make Mount Gox victims whole again with the project Gox Rising. Today, Brock is joining us along with attorney Andrew Rosso for an epic discussion of how he intends to help revive Mount Gox and bring equity back to those who have been burned by the bankrupt exchange. It's said that those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Well, that goes for the crypto world as well. So let's explore the annals of Bitcoin, learn from it, and see if we can fix this stuff here on episode number 253 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Welcome, friends uh, and enemies, who we hope will soon become friends. I don't know that we have any enemies, actually. But if there's that one guy out there, we love you. No friends, no friends and enemies, no friends and enemas. We don't want any of that. It's the Bad Crypto Podcast. I'm Joel Kahn. He's Travis Wright. And we've got a great show for you today, welcoming Mr. Brock Pierce back for a second appearance on the, uh, the show. Yeah, this is exciting, actually. The very first episode we had with Brock Pierce, he really opened up and was sharing a lot of great stuff from, from his past I, that I think a lot of people didn't know. I know Joel and I left that podcast going, wow, I don't know that we knew a lot of that stuff about Brock Pierce and how he had led digital currencies with gaming way back even in the mid-90s. And so, you know, he's an OG when it comes to virtual currencies and... Um, He's got, he's on a mission now to uh, to help you know you know create this phoenix for this phoenix for Mount you know from from Mount Gox and help it rise once again. So we're going to be talking about that today. Also, we're going to be asking him some questions around some crazy things that were said about him on the internet. So uh, we pull no punches here at the Bad Crypto Podcast. We we want to we want to ask questions. And we want answers, right, Mr. Jokom? He's an OG. And also in the social media world, LinkedIn is an OG. Travis, we both of us have been on LinkedIn since, what, 2007, I want to say? It's like we were five, 2005, five. 2006, something yeah, like that, right? Yeah, way, way, way back. And it has become the place to find the right person for a job if you're hiring. LinkedIn Jobs is our sponsor, and they make it super easy for you to get matched with quality candidates. It, this, you know, they're using AI. They're using all kinds of stuff in their engine to come up with a match for you that's based on people's skills, on their background, but also because social media, you know, you like certain interests or you like certain activities, you got certain passions. They bring all of that into the mix. It's it's much better than like, you know, a monster.com because they've just got a lot more data to play with. So the matching system lets you get a group of the most relevant qualified candidates for your role. That way you spend time talking to just the right people and not wasting it. So you get a quality hire that you're super pumped up about. So LinkedIn jobs is the place to go. In fact, they've got a great deal for listeners of the bad crypto podcast. You get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com forward slash bad crypto podcast. Makes sense, right? LinkedIn.com forward slash bad crypto podcast terms and conditions do apply. Go check them out and get that quality hire today right now do it right now right now you know what else is right now mr travis right brock pierce is right now brock pierce is right now you know it seems like just a few short months ago that we welcomed brock pierce to the republic of bad cryptopia for the first time and he's back and he's brought a friend hey brock how's it going um, it's good. It's good. Uh, uh, what is, uh, what today's March, uh, 7th, right? Well, as uh, of this recording, when people are listening to it, it'll be a different day. Okay. Uh, well, excited. well, let's, well, well, uh, it's good. We've got a new moon today. Um, uh, and, uh, spring is almost upon us. The spring equinox is March 20th, which coincidentally is a full moon. Exactly. And as I recently tweeted and posted uh i've said that the groundhogs are out 
I, I mean, but I don't mean like I saw a groundhog. I'm seeing hundreds of groundhogs. Uh, I think winter uh, is officially over. Uh, the Game of Thrones uh, final season is next month. Uh, but winter is officially over and spring has come early. So I think there's lots to be happy about. And I'm more than happy to explain my reasoning, if so desired. Maybe that means the crypto thaw is coming. For those of you that don't remember, Brock is an entrepreneur and venture capitalist. He has been around this crypto space forever, chairman of the Bitcoin Foundation, co-founder of the EOS Alliance, Block.One, Blockchain Capital, Tether, and MasterCoin, which incidentally was the first ICO. And along with him today, we have an attorney. Don't hold it against us. You can hold it against him if you want. His name is Drew Rosso. He's a millennial. You can also hold that against him. If you want to, he's an author. He's a cyberspace consultant for Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS, all the acronyms. He's writes for big publications and he's working with Brock on a project that is near and dear to Brock's heart, uh, focusing on Mount Gox and some sort of revival around this. So, Drew, welcome to Bad Crypto. Thank you guys so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And Brock, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, pleasure to connect with Drew again. Uh, I don't think we're working together. Um, uh, Drew and I just met recently. Uh, uh, he had reached out to, to interview uh, me in the context of um, this Gox Rising. And we had a good conversation about kind of why and what we're doing, why I'm doing it and what we're doing and what we hope to accomplish and uh, I actually do love uh, the way that he profiled it. He, he went into kind of Game of Thrones, uh, Star Wars, you know, sort of Jedi analogy. Uh, he certainly knows how to push my buttons in a good way. But also, uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm always interested in, in, in sort of a legal perspective because this industry, unlike most, uh, actually, I was just writing up uh, 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 some disclosures for, you know, some deal and kind of like what the risk factors are. And I was explaining to a, a, a young VC this morning how you always over disclose. And, uh, and he's like, so what would be like, you know, the, the risk factors and things? Well, I said, regulation, regulation, regulation. I'm not sure I've seen an industry, uh, that's got a bigger risk factor as this one when it comes to, you know, regulatory issues, meaning, and he's like, well, should I write FCC? I said, no, I think I mean all regulatory agencies and we're talking about many jurisdictions. So I think you just want to write a really, really macro risk factor about how regulation is a huge risk factor as it relates to, um, this business globally. And uh, we could run into risks with many different regulatory uh, agencies in many different jurisdictions, um, uh, period, period, period. So I, I, I always enjoy conversations uh, with lawyers and regulators because intellectually, I mean, this is one of the things that as much as we'd like to deny its existence or ignore them, it is not a good strategy to bury your head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend they're not here. It's important to be familiar with the legal issues uh, that your business is facing and even your actions as an individual uh, playing around here. Uh, and if you're certainly a business operator, uh, who the regulatory bodies are, what laws exist, and uh, uh, and how they're looking at your business. It's uh, a necessary evil of sorts. You need to protect your ass, ass right? It's important. Exactly. <laughs> So well, let's let's take it way back into the crypto days, Mister Brock Pierce, um, way back to the original Mt. Gox, right? So I mean, we had one of our very first guests on the show was Jed McCaleb, and he, I guess, founded that way back in the day, and then sold it to the dude, and then then it crashed, and then all the things were crazy, and then madness happened. But I don't know that a lot of our users really know, our listeners know exactly what happened back in the day on that Mt. Gox story. So if you could maybe sum that up and bring us up to speed to where we are today, that would be awesome. Uh, uh, Mt. Gox was started in 2007. It stands for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. So Jed McCaleb started this for magic card trading. I used to be in the game currency sort of trading business. So uh, let's say Mt. Gox was a small competitor of mine prior to Bitcoin being uh, uh, invented or the Genesis block being mined. It eventually pivoted in 2010 to uh, Mt. Gox trading. It was taken over or sold to Mark Carpellis. And it became the most important crypto company in the world through 2010, 11, 12, 13. And it is what really drove uh, uh, the first big, big wave of uh, uh, Bitcoin success. And it was also not just responsible for the rise of Bitcoin, but also the, the fall of Bitcoin. 
because Mt. Gox uh, went off the rails, had a colossal uh, uh, blow up where all the money, all the Bitcoins went missing. Fortunately, as they went through all the USB sticks and computers and electronics in the office, they found 200,000 Bitcoins laying around. So it, the story didn't end up with everything gone. Uh, and it became the, the way that most people heard about Bitcoin for the first time. You know, most of the world heard about Bitcoin for the first time in the context of Mt. Gox collapsing. Not the first impression when you meet, uh, you know, uh, 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 the in-laws uh, or the future future in-laws, not how you want to be introduced. And so Bitcoin, you know, got off on the wrong foot with more or less the world because it was our Mt. Gox was our Lehman Brothers. Mt. Gox was our Bear Stearns. You know, if I challenge you in one word, if you with one word only. And you wanted to to say something really, really bad about Bitcoin or use the name of something from the Bitcoin industry, you know, forget the words like Ponzi or scam or, you know, shitcoin, whatever. If you had to use one name in Bitcoin and you can use fake Toshi or whatever it is that you want, um, if you with one name only, how would you criticize Bitcoin? That's a good one. Well, Mt. Gox is, is one that I think a lot of people could or would use. It's definitely when you want to, if you want to think of like, what are the bad words? What is like the profane words to criticize? And, you know, uh, if you wanted to put Bitcoin down, Mt. Gox is clearly one of the names um, you could use. And so uh, I've been very involved in the Mt. Gox saga. Um, I looked at buying the business in 2012 and 2013, almost bought the business twice, joined ventures, et cetera. And eventually when Mt. Gox collapsed, I called Mark Carpellis the first night, like uh, within minutes, maybe hours, probably minutes of Mt. Gox collapsing and said, Mark, I want to buy the business. And he's like, uh, are you not watching the news? I said, of course I am. That's why I'm calling. He goes, like, what? Are you, and, and you're still interested? And I'm like, I'm still interested because this is going to be very bad for Bitcoin. You and what's happening here could set Bitcoin back by years. I care about Bitcoin as an ecosystem, and you're about to mess it up for all of us. And so I'm here to help. Did you call him a name, too? Did you like, Dick? Like, I mean, something's like, uh, <laughs> you're crashing well, everything, you jerk. I needed him to hand. I needed him to hand over the keys uh, uh, to me at the time, so I could hopefully, you know, it, 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 I looked at. It, it's basically like if you're a firefighter, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you show up at a building, and the building's on fire. The landlord or the tenant, in this case, Mark, you know, is walking out of the door. The building's in flames, and he's got a confused look on his face. He's wearing his bakery outfit, you know, because he was busy making Danish. Um, and went outside for a cigarette. He forgot that he left the stove on and gas running and everything else. Um, and the building blows up. His fault, but you know he's kind of confused. Uh, that that's how I dealt with the situation. I basically said, "Hey, Mark, uh, get out of the way. Uh, I'm bringing the firemen in. We've got the uh, the water cannons, and we're going to go try and do what we can to save, you know, salvage what's done here, and hopefully minimize the damage. Hopefully." Uh, the entire burning building doesn't burn down. And more importantly, you don't set the entire neighborhood or city or world on fire. So many uh, metaphors. I mean, like right there in 30 seconds. Boom. Jedi mind tricks. All Jedi mind tricks. You know? Yeah. And so uh, that's that's uh, kind of where the beginning of, uh, you know, multiple beginnings of my saga, uh, uh, you know, got involved. And then uh, in that process, there were class action lawsuits filed against Mt. Gox on behalf of the 103,000 account holders. I went and settled deals with the class action lawsuits uh, or class action attorneys that represented all the world's creditors. Um, and we made deals to represent the creditors, align the entrance. We put together a, uh, a civil rehabilitation plan, uh, the first civil rehabilitation plan. We filed that with the, uh, the courts in Japan. We tried to rehabilitate uh, Mt. Gox. The idea was because bankruptcies can go one of two ways in, in, in Japan. Either they go into liquidation, which is where uh, the company says, we are so in over our heads, uh, the government has to take it over and manage it. Uh, because there's basically every, it's just things are that bad. And the government in Japan on average takes five to 20 years um, to uh, resolve any bankruptcy liquidation process. And so I was telling the creditors and telling everyone in 2000, early 2014, 
we do not want a liquidation. We need a civil rehabilitation because if this goes into liquidation, this is going to take a decade or two to resolve itself. And we do not want that. And I basically put, I was wearing this shirt that said save Gox and I was making these chants, rehabilitate, don't liquidate, rehabilitate. And I was like (laughs) doing, uh, if you go back and check any of the original media, like this is all the craziness that was going on. And I said to the creditors, because a bunch of creditors are like, no, we need to liquidate it. It needs to be liquidated. It shouldn't be rehabilitated. I said, creditors, that means you're not going to get money for years and years and years. And they're like, liquidate, liquidate. And I'm like, okay, come on, guys. This is not how it works. <laughs> Study that Japanese, you know, sort of law and take a look at, you know, precedent and what's happened historically. But fast forward, good news is the bankruptcy courts uh, last fall uh, decided to rehabilitate the business. And I, when I say rehabilitate, I don't mean relaunch the exchange, but to take it out of liquidation into rehabilitation, which allows things to get done much more quickly and in a way that's ultimately better for everyone. So five years later, we're finally where I wanted us to be five years ago. And hopefully we're nearing the end of the Mt. Gox saga. And uh, you know, just to summarize what's happened, there were 25,000 creditors that have filed um, claims with the bankruptcy trustee out of 103,000 account holders. All the money was lost. 200,000 Bitcoins were found. Some of those Bitcoins were sold. And so the Mt. Gox estate today has $630 million in Japanese yen equivalent and still has about 140,000 Bitcoin in all those forks that have happened. Mm-hmm. And so the estate has about $1.2 to $1.3 billion in it. So this is no longer uh, a story where all the money is gone. There's actually a sizable sum of money there. And all of these creditors have been waiting years and years and years for their money. And some people, it's my understanding that some people have died over this. Like there are people that are dead as a result of the Mt. Gox uh, bankruptcy. There are marriages that have been, uh, you know, couples that have separated over this. There are homes that have been lost. And so when I use the word victim, I mean, you know, these are not just people that lost the money. Uh, When this kind of money is lost, the impact it has on people's lives are, you know, serious. And these are early crypto adopters. These are people that got into Bitcoin between 2010 and 2013 that made an early bet on Bitcoin, and they have not been the beneficiary of the risk they've taken. Instead, they've been tied up in a five-year process. And it gets me, you know, I get I get very passionate about this subject because I'm pissed off that creditors have not been made whole yet. And so uh, there's a couple of other things people don't know. Mark Carpellis, uh, through his company, Tabane, that he's the 100% shareholder of, has a claim filed with the bankruptcy trustee and the courts, this is public, for 82,000 Bitcoin. So he wants more than half of the Bitcoin uh, paid out to him. uh, And that claim is outstanding. And what's crazier than that, in the last couple months, CoinLab, I don't know if anyone remember, remembers this company, but CoinLab was another early Bitcoin company. It made a deal with Mt. Gox back in the day, and they failed to live up to their deal. They were in breach of contract, and they embezzled $5 million of Mt. Gox customer funds. They filed a claim back in 2014, but they updated their claim. In 2014, they said, we believe that we've been screwed over uh, by Mt. Gox, even though we did nothing and we stole money and we failed to live up to our deal but we think the estate should pay us $70 million. This is CoinLab. But in the last couple of months, they updated their claim and they say they're owed $16 billion now. So I don't know what happened between 2014 and 2019 that says their damages have gone from $70 million to $16 billion, but this company CoinLab says creditors should get nothing. So Mark Carpellis is asking for more than half the Bitcoin, and that was kind of like insane on its by itself. Now CoinLab is saying, they deserve everything and creditors should get nothing. And so there are some like, you know, there's some serious stuff going on here. Um, Mark Carpellis uh, has been convicted of embezzling $3 million of um, customer funds, uh, over $3 million. So he was using the Mt. Gox customer funds as his personal piggy bank or something, or at least this is what the Japanese courts and law enforcement and judges have decided. And they convicted him of embezzling money. This is aside from, you know, call it mismanagement. Mm-hmm. And he went his, to prison, didn't he? Didn't he, he? For a separate issue. Now his sentencing, oh. he gets sentenced on March 15th, like in a week. On By the way, March 15th is the Ides of March. And so that's an interesting date. <laughs> this is the day that yeah. Julius, Julius Caesar, you know, was uh, stabbed and murdered on the Senate floor. So Mark Carpellis' sentencing 
is on the Ides of March and he is uh, looking at being sentenced up to 10 years uh, in prison. So he already did one year, but that was for other stuff, I guess. And he is about to go back to prison for up to another 10 years for embezzling customer funds. Etu, etu, Brockte? It's it's time to renumerate and don't rehypothecate or whatever it is we want to do. Okay, so <laughs> what you're doing is you're leading this movement. The website is goxrising.com, goxrising.com. And uh, you're making a little bit of a stink out there. We got some opposition, but what is this project? Yeah, so the uh, I'm, I'm certainly not leading anything. It is not my intention or my goal to be the leader. Um, I, you know, this is, uh, we are Legion, right? Uh, we are all Satoshi. Uh, we are all here. Ultimately, you know, we're all one, hopefully trying to make the world a better place. Making us sound I, like Borg. We are Borg. We are. I, well, I mean, we're all connected and our futures are, this is what the same reason I called up Mark the day that Mt. Gox collapsed. What was good for Bitcoin at the time was good for me. Right. And I saw Mt. Gox collapsing as a very bad thing. And that's back when I only had like 10 or 20 investments in companies in crypto. Now I've got over a hundred. <laughs> I, 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 maybe it's even closer than two, to 200 now, but what's good for the ecosystem is good for me. Rising tides raise all ships. And because I have an interest in so many companies and so many uh, businesses and so many tokens that, um, I, I get to basically be a little bit more altruistic, though it's not really altruistic. It is, but it isn't. It's whatever is good for the ecosystem is good for me. I don't care who wins. If you guys are successful, it benefits me in some way. If Mt. Gox is more successful, it benefits me in some way. If Ethereum does well, I do well. If Bitcoin does well, I do well. If Bitcoin Cash does well, I do well. If Bitcoin SV does well, I do well. I, I kind of do well if the ecosystem does well. And so I'm an unusual player because I don't have the typical bias that most people have. You know, they're they're attached to their project and the success of their project. I benefit if anyone kind of benefits because I'm in so many things and it, to varying degrees. Obviously, some things I benefit more than others, but that that allows me the freedom to basically just go work on anything I think is beneficial to the ecosystem. Um, um, and it is in part altruistic. I live my life in service and blah 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 blah. I, I don't want to go on a philanthropic rant, but um, uh, what's going on here? I'm not the leader. I have been very close to Mt. Gox. For seven years, I'm one of the principal players, you know, that if you look at the the Mt. Gox saga going back to 2007, you know, before Bitcoin was even created, I'm one of the principal characters in that story. Um, obviously, through the early days of Bitcoin, a principal player in the Mt. Gox story, having been the guy that almost bought it multiple times and fixed it and this and that. I've had a seat at this table for a long time. And when Mt. Gox collapsed, I was the only person there in fire gear, you know, with a hose trying to put out the fire, clean up the mess with no, I mean, at the time, Mt. Gox, all the money was missing. All the coins were missing. There was absolutely no way that I would benefit directly from doing that. But I said, someone needs to go put out this fire. Someone needs to make sure this thing doesn't, you know, mess us up worse than, you know, it looks like it's going to. So I was the only group uh, in there in the early days, doing as much work as I could for the benefit of the ecosystem. And I've been here all the way along. Uh, and so we're back in rehabilitation, which is what I originally had uh, wanted. And so it's important to me that this story ends properly. I want to see the ending of this end in the way that would be, I don't want CoinLab to get any of the $16 billion they want. I don't want Mark Carpellis to get anything. I don't think he deserves anything. I'm not here to like... I don't think Mark Perpellis is necessarily a horrible guy. I think he was incompetent. I think he made a, a you know a lot of mistakes, criminal negligence, things of that nature, na- nature. But in my time with Mark, I want to be very clear. I don't think he's a bad guy trying to do bad things. I don't believe that what happened here was malicious. I don't believe that he was trying to rip people off. I think that he was just you know uh, in way over his head. Obviously, the embezzling of money. Uh, uh, is kind of more black and white. He shouldn't have been touching customer funds, you know, to pay for his personal things. And the losing of $500 million, I believe, was incompetence, uh, not intentional. So I, I don't want to overly rag on the poor guy. You know, he's already gone to jail and it looks like he's going back for a long time. So I'm not trying to uh, uh, vilify him any more than he is already being vilified by, you know, call it law enforcement. You have reached um, your rag limits where it comes to Mark yeah, right there. Yeah, I'm not, I don't, I, I'm not looking to punish the guy. I feel bad for the guy, if anything. I have a lot of sympathy for him. Um, but uh, 
uh, I want to make sure he doesn't get any of the money. So I, I have one primary objective, if nothing else in this process, and that is to make sure creditors get everything. And right now it is not clear that creditors are going to get everything. You have CoinLab trying to take the money. You've got Mark Carpellis's company, Tabain, trying to take a bunch of the money. Uh, it's in civil rehabilitation. It is not clear that this is going to end that way. So I'm going to doing my little part. I'm not the leader, but I'm just trying to make sure that creditors get everything. And I'm doing everything in my power to ensure that happens. Then there's one other thing that I want to do, which is a little controversial um, and should be controversial. I have this crazy idea of buying the intangibles. And when I mean the intangibles, I mean buying the domain names and the brand. Why would I want to own Mt. Gox? I have this crazy idea that it's a good idea, and most people are going to disagree with me. Uh, I want to relaunch Mt. Gox. I want Mt. Gox, the exchange, to go back online. Not the obviously the exchange as it was run previously and not with the same software or the same people, but I want to relaunch Mt. Gox. Uh, and this is the controversial idea, which, I mean, it's kind of, I, it, this is one that, you know, we, you could debate for days and months or years about how kind of insane the idea is, because this is our Lehman Brothers. This is our Enron. Is it a good idea to relaunch Lehman Brothers? Is it a good idea to relaunch Bear Stearns? Is it a good idea to relaunch Enron? Uh, none of those brands exist today, but I have this crazy idea, and I think it's a good idea to relaunch Mt. Gox. And so I am trying to buy through the bankruptcy courts the brand and the domains, and I want to relaunch Mt. Gox, and I want to give the 24,000 creditors uh, 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 an opportunity to own part of that exchange for nothing um, as a way of helping to make them more whole. And uh, some people, I mean, again, Mt. Gox is that dirty word. No one wants to hear it. And so when you tell people, I want to relaunch Mt. Gox, some people are like, please, no, that's a horrible idea. I never want to hear that name again. Why would you do? Oh, please, no, no, no. And some people are like, oh, my God, you want to resurrect Mt. Gox? You want to like take our our dirty word, our biggest weakness and make it into a strength? You want to like a from a like a phoenix, you know, uh, rise from the ashes? I think it's a great idea. It's a very controversial idea. And people tend to have strong opinions one way or another. A lot of people are like, please, no, I, I hate this idea. Whatever you do, no, you, you can't do this. This is horrible. This is going to be bad for Bitcoin. And some people are like, wow, that's kind of a cool idea. I'd like to see Mt. Gox come back again. I'd like to be able to take our weakness and point it out as a strength. I'd like to be able to tell people that we are different than the financial system. And when our fails, you know, we come back. We bounce back like a phoenix from the dead. You know, and even in the law with criminal defense that I do, it's, it's the same concept, Brock. And, you know, is, you know, there are second chances. Somebody who's done a lot of wrong or is given off a very negative impression can come back. It may take time, but they are rehabilitated in a lot of ways. And I, I think that's that's a good point of, of what you're trying to do here, in my opinion. You know, I want to I want to actually hit on a couple of things, because now I, I had a buddy of mine who got into Bitcoin at like 10 bucks and then he was on Mt. Gox. And then, you know, so then he lost his his Bitcoin because he left it on the exchange. And now, wasn't there something recently or like not too long ago where people who had Bitcoin did get some of their refunds back, but they got it back at the price of what it was whenever the, the uh, Mt. Gox got hacked? Yeah. So um, th this is, you know, one of the great things that's happened. And again, one of the reasons that I've stayed uh, close to the project the last five years is when Mt. Gox got hacked, the price of Bitcoin at the time was roughly $450. And the bankruptcy courts in Japan, this is early 2014, they can't say uh, creditors are owed X number of Bitcoin or fractions of Bitcoin. Japan doesn't recognize at the time that Bitcoin is money or currency or has value even, right? And so when you're a bankruptcy court in 2014, you have an obligation to list out the creditors, right? And what are the creditors owed? You need to like tally up liabilities, assets, and all that good stuff. And so the bankruptcy court did what anyone would do at the time. And they used a, a concept in, in finance known as mark to market, right? And so they said, what was the value of Bitcoin at the time of its collapse? And what is the US dollar equivalent, you know, basically in Japanese yen? Mm -hmm. And they said, okay, creditors uh, had this much Bitcoin in their account. 
This is the value of Bitcoin at the time. Now I'm going to list out every creditor and how much they're owed. And it was marked down in dollars. Now what happened, and this is one of those really weird cases, you know, uh, a majority, over 75% of the money went missing. And so the liabilities were vastly greater than the assets. But um, between the bankruptcy process, when it started to today, the price of Bitcoin went up a lot. And Mt. Gox went from being very insolvent to actually having a surplus of assets. This is kind of like if you went into bankruptcy, but you owned a piece of land and they like um, uh, the Beverly Hills Billies, you uh, you shot your shotgun and all of a sudden oil started coming out of the ground. So you you owed you owed a billion dollars. You owed a million dollars. Or let's say let's use bigger numbers. You owed five hundred million dollars to the bank, and you had this fifty million dollar piece of land. And while you were in bankruptcy, they discovered that there was you know four billion dollars of oil in the ground, <laughs> or ten million dollars of oil in the ground. All of a sudden, you went from being upside down. $400 million to all of a sudden having a surplus, or you found a, a gold mine on your property. Mm -hmm. This is very rare. This is not normal in bankruptcy proceedings where a company goes into bankruptcy being deeply insolvent to all of a sudden being solvent and having a surplus of assets. I mean, th there's not many examples of this. So they just found those 200,000 Bitcoin or whatever on some wallet in a desk somewhere. And they're like, oh my God, look, well, 200,000 Bitcoin. Well, look. no, that, that was found pretty early on. So it got marked, okay, there's 200,000 Bitcoin and, and creditors are owed blank, $450 per Bitcoin. The crazy thing is, is well, yeah, there went from nothing to, yeah, oh, wait, here's 200,000 Bitcoins. Uh, here's what they're worth. And this is what creditors are owed. Oh, wait, Bitcoins are now worth $14,000. I mean, this mm. is one of the most unusual bankruptcy proceedings ever. I mean, this right. is one that eventually movies are going to be made about this. I mean, Hollywood, as I understand it, has been trying to option this story you know, I think there's multiple scripts that have already been written about Mount Gox. I mean, this is going to end up in books. This is going to end up as a movie, whether or not I got involved at all. Uh, so we can pretend Mount Gox never happened. We can tell ourselves, let's let's try to erase it from the history books. But we can't do that. You know, Mount Gox is a big deal. It is a big story. But like most Hollywood um, uh, screenwriters and most uh, book publishers, they are waiting to publish the story into, they don't want to do it until it's over. We're in the, you know, it's like Game of Thrones. The last uh, season still isn't over. The story's not finished yet. So you can't publish the book. They're waiting for the ending. And so this story is getting done. I mean, Hollywood is making this movie. This has already been planned for years. The book deals have already been optioned for years. The question is, we as an industry have the power to write the ending. And I'd rather have an ending that shows you know, Bitcoin as being triumphant, that is a phoenix rising from the ashes, the resurrection story where creditors get all their money back and it has a happy ending, a hero's journey, a Joseph Campbell sort of finish versus the story where the villain coin lab takes all the money and creditors get nothing. Or Mark Carpellis goes to prison, but he gets eight 80,000 Bitcoin and he's in jail for 10 years. But when he gets out, he's going to be living like a king. You know, what What kind of story do we want? I want the story to be creditors got everything. We're diff this isn't this isn't Lehman Brothers. This isn't Bear Stearns. Bitcoin is anti-fragile. Bitcoin is resilient. Bitcoin is a community that, you know, comes together and rises up, you know, together. I want to have a, a grand finale. And that's why I'm so motivated by this is we have the power as an industry to write the end of this story. And the end of the Mt. Gox story is kind of the Bitcoin story. They're, they're kind of linked. When I did the last poll, it's not that today, but I did a poll back when, you know, Mt. Gox first collapsed. 96% of people had, that had heard of Bitcoin had heard of Mt. Gox. They were literally synonymous terms. That number today is probably like 50-50. But like 50% of the people that I talk to that have heard of Bitcoin have heard of Mt. Gox. So it's still a synonymous term in a lot of ways. So what happens to Mt. Gox does in a, in a way tell the story of Bitcoin. And I'd like to, I'd like to be able to tell a great story. I'm a storyteller. I came from Hollywood. Uh, so let's, let, you know, my view is let's make this a magical ending. Let's make this a happy ending. Let's make this, you know, a story of Bitcoin winning and the Bitcoin community winning, uh, and not a story of, you know, where Hollywood makes this and it, it becomes the story of like how Bitcoin is bad and how the bad guys always win. And look at why you shouldn't touch Bitcoin. Look at how, you know, I mean, 
I want this to be a story that says, look at Bitcoin as triumphant and we the people are the winners versus Bitcoin is bad and it's evil and you shouldn't touch it. And, and this, that, this story is either going to be a, a one with a, right. a really bad ending or a happy ending. We get to choose. So two part question for you then. Uh, one part is, who do you want to play you in the uh, in the film? Uh, but more importantly, is what needs to happen for you know for all this to take place the you know the movement is is going and you're bringing awareness even right here right now but you know what needs to happen uh so a bunch of things need to happen so i, I guess back to, to the storyline I, I i and since we have drew on the phone here or on on this uh uh, uh podcast i i really liked his analogy i i didn't come up with this he came up with this because as i told this sort of story uh much less refined than probably the way that i just told you um because I've now told it a couple of times, uh, it, it is a very Star Wars-esque story. This is kind of like, it's a battle between, you know, the Sith and the Jedi. I'd, I'd like this to be a story that ends with the Jedi winning. And so uh, I think that's kind of what's at stake. Uh, here, um, in terms of actors, uh, 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 he's, too old, he's too old right now, but the actor that I would love to play me is obviously Johnny Depp in the sense that uh, he wears hats and he's a bit of a, an eccentric dude, um, but uh, uh, we might need someone a little bit younger. Uh, I'm not close enough to Hollywood these, these days to know kind of who would be the, uh, uh, the right actors, but now that you've planted that seed with me, I will give more thought to it. Um, so I know who I would want to play, uh, Mark Corpellis. I think Mark Corpellis should be, it, it, it's, um, I, I view Mark Corpellis and I really, this, uh, again, I, I don't mean to rag on him. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have gone down this rabbit hole. You asked the question too late, about actor. Too late. Um, so I guess I have to finish my point, but I view the Mark Corpellis story as, um, Rain Man. Um, I, I, I view Mark Carpellis as basically kind of like an autistic guy, hey, Mark um, but no, I, I view Mark as, a, as, as he's not, not intelligent. Um, uh, kind of like, uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character in Rain Man. He's smart. He's a CTO. He's technically competent, but he was just in over his head. He doesn't understand how like the rest of the world works. And that's why he ran into the problems. You don't let, you know, uh, uh, Rain Man, you know, run a company. Uh, you take him to the uh, 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 blackjack table and let him count cards and make money off him. Um, and there are a f- there are a few people that are trying to monetize, you know, sort of Mark Carpellis these days. I'll avoid mentioning their characters. They got to leave some surprises out there. But I definitely know who gets to play Tom Cruise um, in this story. And in that in that in that story, Tom Cruise is the bad guy. Uh, he's the one. I mean, well, not bad. He's just the one that's taking advantage of his his brother uh, uh, and his talents in a very sort of uh, sleazy way. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, you're, you're giving me thought. I'm going to have to start thinking about the movie um, because I do, uh, I, I, uh, I, I'm, I grew up in the entertainment business, so I know lots of people in Hollywood and I know what's going on in Hollywood. And this story has been being fought over by, you know, screenwriters for years. You know, this, this story is coming out whether we like it or not. Um, and this is part of the reason I care so much. So I, and I've never really pointed this out, I think, in previous interviews. So uh, what was the other uh, piece of the question? That's the entertainment side. What needs to happen? What what needs to happen? Obviously, Uh, what are the key sort of milestones? Well, uh, for my role in this uh, uh, to continue, because I might I might just be a a character that dies off at this point. Right. In the storyline, because I'm doing what I can. Uh, I will clearly continue to do everything in my power to support creditors getting paid. Um, but the ending, as far as my role is concerned, is dependent upon uh, us successfully buying the intangible assets, the brand and domain name. So the only real thing that is core to me, other than doing what I can to steward the right outcome and challenge the coin labs and you know stop the Mark Carpellises from you know their claims being approved and. I, I don't have any authority. It's a bankruptcy trustee in the bankruptcy courts and legal proceedings that ultimately decide that. All I'm doing is creating awareness. Most of the creditors didn't realize that Mark Carpellis had a claim for 82,000 Bitcoin. Like he, he kind of kept this a secret. Um, it's been hidden from most people. It's not been talked about. And the Coin Lab uh, $16 billion claim, creditors didn't even know about that. I was actually in Japan a month and a half ago, um, actually uh, a month ago, a month and a week ago. And I went to meet up with Mark Carpellis 
And I was asking Mark, you know, I'm like, Mark, let's go through the creditor stuff. He's like, yeah, that 82,000 Bitcoin, that's me. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'm uh, interesting that you're just so honest about it. Um, but, you know, he, he, he's actually kind of, he's a very honest guy. If you ask him a, a, a direct question, uh, he, he kind of, uh, uh, even if it's not in his, uh, he doesn't know how to plead the fifth, um, which is an interesting thing because he should plead the fifth probably half of the time when he opens his mouth. But um, uh, I said, who's this $16 billion claim? I assume it's CoinLab that's just updated their $70 million claim because this is crazy. Who is making a $16 billion claim? He goes, I don't know. No one knows. I go, how do we find? I said, how do we find out? I was at his offices, PIA. He works with this guy, um, uh, Kim uh, Nelson or Nielsen or something like that. Uh, and so they work together at, uh, uh, at this firm PIA. They're a VPN network. And so Mark Carpellis is the CTO uh, now of this VPN network known as PIA or private internet access or something like that. They're a big uh, VPN. Um, at least he works there probably for another week. And so um, Mark's like, I don't know. I go, well, how do we find out? He goes, well, we could go to the courthouse right now. I'm allowed access to the court documents. I go, really? He's like, yeah. I go, let's go. He goes, now? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, let's go. He's like, uh, let's see what time it opens. He's like, oh, the court, because this is a morning meeting. He's like, oh, yeah, the courts aren't open yet. I said, well, let's wait 30 minutes and let's go to the courthouse. And so we went over to the courthouse together. We rode to the courthouse. I took some phone calls outside. Uh, he went in. It took like two hours because they were, I don't know what the problem was, big delays in the courthouse. Uh, and after two hours, he's like, I got him. I got him. I got him. I'm like, awesome. And so we met up outside. And we jumped back in the car together. And he's like, yeah, it's CoinLab. CoinLab is asking for $16 billion. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And then, and then, um, uh, so that'd be Peter, Peter Vicenes then? Uh, well, he's the, he was the CEO. Yeah. Then, Peter right? Vicenes was the founder and CEO uh, of CoinLab. I'm not sure if he's still the CEO. My guess is he is. But yeah, Peter Vicenes is the main character. And, 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 mm. uh, well, so we'll have to figure out. Well, I'm going to ask you, turn it around on you guys. Who should play the role of Peter Vicenes? No idea. No idea. I want to, I want to actually, I want to throw a wrench in this, right? Because I I was on Reddit a couple of days ago, and there was a big post about you and this whole deal. Did you did you get a chance to see it? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be posting a uh, a response later today, point by point, of kind of this uh, craziness. Uh, um, yeah, uh, so some anonymous person made a post on Reddit um, saying that they know me. Um, yeah. uh, which <laughs> I I find to be <laughs> impossible, but they made this crazy claim saying that I have a secret agenda and I'm trying to steal all the money, which is kind of insane. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm a success. I, 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 I want to read a couple of this because like, it was it. It was like, I was like, wow, this is some drama. And if we're going to have Brock on here, I want him to clear the air on this. They said that uh, he basically is like, that, that you're creating this massive scam to get the, the, the brand Mt. Gox and to get all this stuff. And he goes, the users will be paid back in the prior value of Bitcoin, not the current value of Bitcoin. For example, well, around the time it was 600 Bitcoin or so, now it's 30, 3,800. So if we figure 200,000 Bitcoins, then Brock's going to net $540 million in profit. And then you have the Bitcoin cash hard fork. Those 200,000 Bitcoins are hard forks. There's another 24 million. And then there's there's $560 million at current value. And then he says that Brock has said over and over that he's going to pay back the users. He goes, also be clear, Brock never owned Mt. Gox. Uh, the, there was never an asset sale or a company sale. There is no document proving this. Uh, Brock says he has a letter of intent. However, even the, if he does have this, uh, there is nothing to do with selling Mount Gox. An intent contract is not an asset, blah, blah, blah. Also, he has retained the services of a correct the net systems. This means astroturfing of Reddit, Twitter, and are well underway. Uh, there, there's a pro Brock army out there fully paid to create all this PR. And so the big plan is, uh, reason Brock is doing these public campaigns is because he wants a vote to be done via Mt. Gox customers. He wants to build a vote list and bring this to court. He wants to state the 4,529 customers of Mt. Gox are in support of me owning it. And actually, it's a viable strategy, but he's misleading users, blah, blah, blah. He says he wants a vote. They will get no money, and Brock promises me money. As it stands, Brock might win. And uh, you got to – so there's, there's somebody out there who is like, actively campaigning against you in this process because they think that you're going to get a half a bill. Well, I mean, uh, I, I actually hadn't read it closely um, yet. So thank you for actually reciting most of it. It's a couple of things are clear. Uh, whoever it is that wrote it is not very familiar 
with the sort of Mt. Gox process. I, I now you've helped. By the way, hearing that was actually really helpful um, mm. uh, because the the number in the bankruptcy courts was four hundred and fifty dollars, um, uh, not six hundred. So clearly, the person that uh, wrote this is not following what's going on at Mt. Gox very closely, or their numbers would be like. I mean, these are kind of known numbers. You wouldn't write six hundred when it's 450 and anyone that's close to this process or anyone that's following it closely or anyone that's very involved would know those sorts of things. There's just a lot of like very amateur uh, uh, um, data points in there that shows that this person doesn't really know what they're talking about, first of all. So that's good to know. So they're, they're, there's someone that's, they're talking out of their ass, clearly trying to uh, accuse me of a bunch of things, which is like odd. Uh, first of all, um, I, have made it very clear time and time and time and time again that I'm not interested in getting one penny out of the, the the process, that I want creditors to receive everything. As a result of that, I had my lawyers draft something up, uh, which I hope to get out later today, which is a, a legal document that is binding that I submit to the bankruptcy trustee uh, that says, under no circumstance ever will I be able to get a penny, even if everything goes in a way that would allow me to that I am donating everything to the creditors. And so I uh, have a fully legal document that gets submitted to the bankruptcy courts to ensure and proves forever that there is, that first of all, that's just impossible. A, I never said anything like that. B, I've never had any plan like that. And anyone that knows me knows otherwise. And to make it provable, I am filing something, you know, probably tomorrow or whatever Monday, but the legal document I'll, I'll share with the net tonight, hopefully, uh, shows that I legally will not be able to take anything in. Uh, by the way, I've also added to that document that's going to get released, uh, Mark Carpellis. I should include Peter uh, uh, Peter Vicenis on as, as well and basically encourage all three of us to do that because CoinLab says they uh, – uh, well, they're, there's three parties here that matter, right? Uh, behind door number one, you've got Brock Pierce. Behind door number two, you've got Mark Carpellis. Behind door number three, you've got Peter Vicenis. And the question is, which ones of the – which of these three parties uh, want to screw the creditors? Is it all three of us? Are we working together? Is it one of us? Is it none of us? Are we all good guys? Well, CoinLab still has their claim for $16 billion and is clearly not going to back down on their claim. So I think it's pretty clear that CoinLab is a villain in this case, and they are trying to screw the creditors. I think that's indisputable. Mark Carpella. There's a lot of comments. There's a lot of comments on there that says that he's the villain because, like, for seriously, even with Bitcoin worth thirty-eight fifty right now, those two hundred, those two hundred million Bitcoin or two hundred thousand Bitcoin is worth seven hundred and seventy million dollars. So how in the hell is this guy saying two uh, sixteen billion dollars? That's just ridiculous. Well, he, I think he made some. I, I don't understand the thesis behind the claim, but I'm guessing it goes a little something like this: Had uh, Mt. Gox not failed. And had our deal with Mt. Gox worked out, and had we not breached our contract, and had we not embezzled five million dollars, you know, had we not had we done something, and had everything worked out, we believe that we would have made seventy million dollars, and that's where the original claim from comes from. Mm. Now, the updated claim is they're going, "Wow, that was Bitcoin in 2014. Let's look at Bitcoin in 2019." Now, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is a huge industry. So, if Mt. Gox had not failed, and everything had gone really well, and we'd actually done something and done our job and executed perfectly and been like, you know, the best operators that the world's ever seen. We think that we would be Coinbase, but bigger than Coinbase. We would be at least twice the value of Coinbase. Coinbase's last valuation was $8 billion. And so they're saying that CoinLab should be worth at least double Coinbase. Uh, and that's uh, that has to be where their logic is coming from. I'm Sounds not, like some serious sour grapes. Over well, but it's, my, my attitude is, <laughs> if you're going to say that you would be twice as valuable as Coinbase, you might as well say you're Facebook too and Google while you're at it. You might as well make a claim for a trillion and just say you'd be the you know you'd be the entire new internet. Well, then you're getting into bad crypto territory, and we know they're not close to us yet. Um, so behind door number <laughs> behind door number three, you know you've got Peter Vicenis. So the question is, good guy, bad guy, um, it, relative to the creditors. Behind door number two, you've got Mark Carpellis. So Mark is telling everyone that he's a saint and he's telling everyone that he wants creditors to get everything and that he is doing what he can to help creditors. But while at the same time, he literally has a claim through Tobain for 82,000 Bitcoin and he gets sentenced for embezzling $3 million plus of customer funds on the Ides of March, March 15th. So I have sympathy for Mark, but would I trust him? Absolutely not. Uh, and with his claims and embezzlement and prison and all those things, 
I think that we should assume the worst, even, you know, uh, hope for the best, but assume the worst, right? Plan for the worst. I think that you want to challenge that claim for those 82,000 Bitcoins, and we should be fighting tooth and nail to make sure that he doesn't get those 82,000 Bitcoin. So behind door number one is myself. Am I a good guy? Am I ba- I'm a bad guy. Should you trust me? Not, you know, that's up to you. Don't trust me. I'm not asking for anybody's trust. I don't need anybody's trust. I'm not trying to tell you to trust me. Form your own opinion. Think for yourself. That is always my advice. I want what's best for creditors. You may or may not believe that. I am going to file a document with the bankruptcy trustee to ensure that under no circumstances could I ever get any of that money. No matter what happens, I get zero as it relates to all of the customer funds. So I'm about to prove through filings with the bankruptcy courts that my intentions are pure and that under no circumstances can I ever get anything. So that whoever made this post clearly didn't plan for the fact that I'm going to file. I I can respond to that. Okay, great. Thank you for putting into question my intention. Thank you for raising the bar and making me raise the bar and jump higher. Great. I will go prove it. And I'm going to file something with the bankruptcy courts as soon as possible. You'll see the documents tonight and I get nothing, period. And that is filed with the bankruptcy courts. Now let's see if we can get Mark Carpellis to do the same. And let's see if we can get Peter Vicenis to do the same. If all three of us do that, the creditors win. So as creditors, as Bitcoiners, as the community, we should all be fighting for the three of us. It's not a matter of which ones of us are good guys or bad guys. Assume we're all bad guys. Let's make all of us sign this document and we will see whose intentions are pure. You know, this is basically when you sign this document, you have proven your intention. Let's prove our intention. Maybe we should, uh, Travis. Maybe we should get Mark and Peter on uh, to to come and talk about this as well. Maybe we like, should. Maybe we should get the UFC on board and get them in the octagon cage match, right? <laughs> uh, what a, what a story! And I just want like when the movie does come out, I think that this broadcast should be written into the script somewhere. And uh, Drew, you've been uh, you've been hanging out here listening. Love to get your input on uh, what Brock said. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think just starting off, and this is where I don't know if you will hate me as an attorney or despise me as an attorney, but playing devil's advocate as, you know, even against the victims in this, you know, this has been one of the biggest educational use cases in the history of the space. You know, it's, it's forcing everyone to take a hard, close look at what the hell this currency is about. What the what is this space really about? How does it operate? How do exchanges work? How are they supposed to work? And the people that are running these exchanges, the the investors, what are we all supposed to be doing in our roles? And what happens when somebody steps out of line? Um, I, I think Brock in in what he's doing is taking, as he said a, a number of times, a very dangerous path, a path that most people wouldn't take. But the reasoning behind it, I think somebody has to. And it takes somebody with a lot of knowledge, a lot of courage, and and that kind of uh, aptitude to say, hey, something needs to be done. If I'm going to be vilified, so be it. But somebody, no matter who it is, somebody's going to be vilified. And that's just how it is. And it's a shame that that's what the mindset is. But this is what this new age of digital money is. You know, this is a whole new bubble. We're watching the birth of a whole new currency, of a whole new technology, and we're watching the players play the game. I think the moral of the story is I think all of us wish that we could just, you know, look in one of our office drawers and find 200,000 Bitcoin. That's what I, that's the big thing. <laughs> or, or even the 55 that's on your hard drive. Travis. Yeah, my 55 though, that I originally mined back in 2010 that I threw away on a computer. That was great too. Uh, yeah, there, that, that's a good question, too, is how how many Bitcoins are actually of the 21 million? How many are uh, how what what percentage have been lost? Uh, what do you think that is? What number do you believe? It is? Well, it's got to be more than a million. Um, it yeah. might be more than two million. Uh, it could be potentially as high as three million. I, I don't believe it. It's more than four million. So I think it's between one and four. Probably call it. Uh, two to three, maybe uh, let, let's, let's go with pie. I think that's an overstatement. So I'm overestimating. Uh, and I say that knowingly, but I like the number and we're almost there. March 14th is Pi day. So let's go with, uh, uh, Pi day, uh, and 3.1415 and the, all the decimals, right? Uh, let, who doesn't like pie? So, that, so that would mean, that would mean that of the 17.5 roughly million Bitcoins that have been mined, 3.1 are, are missing 14.4 
are out there in the wild, how many of those you think are being hodled? Actually, how many do you think are, are actively being traded? Because I don't think there's, I think most people seem to be holding their, their crypto or their Bitcoin and not trading it. So what percentage of the numbers do you think is actually being traded in Bitcoin? Um, yeah, these are, these are things where we can go get that, the, that data and I should go um, look up uh, to see what Bitcoin uh, of the, all the Bitcoins that are out there have moved. Uh, we can look at trading volume, obviously, that's on exchanges. Bitcoin is trading. Some of that could be manipulated, though. You know, some of that some of that Bitcoin volume can be faked, right? Or at least look like their exchange is super voluminous, voluminous, but it's not. Yes. Sometimes, right? There's, you know, like BitMEX and whatnot. We just want to know how many you have, bro. <laughs> uh, well, uh, it, I, 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 I can try and give you a little bit of insight. So um, the largest uh, buyer and seller of Bitcoin in the world, the biggest trader, by far the biggest and maybe you know one of the biggest if not the biggest holder of bitcoin is um let's just call it one of my closest friends um and so the biggest trader in the world uh and, and the dynamic and the visibility you see when you um when you buy or sell a billion dollars of bitcoin uh you learn about how the market really works and uh i've had the pleasure of a front row to seat to seeing billions of dollars of bitcoin bought and sold through OTC markets, through exchanges, through this, through that. Um, it doesn't take a crazy number to move the market. I mean, uh, if you uh, try to buy or sell $100 million of the Bitcoin, you're going to move the market, um, even though there's about $10 billion a day uh, of uh, trading volume. Uh, but $100 million moves the market. You know, $10 million, not so much. And by the way, a couple of years ago, $10 million would move the market. So the market is continuing to mature. Uh, uh, we go through, you know, cycles that are a little bit up down, uh, but, oh, this might be a good, good area to close on. Um, uh, we talked about, uh, Groundhog Day. Um, I believe that winter is over and spring has come early. And so the question is, why do I say that? And why do I say it with such confidence? Um, you know, I'm not speculating. I'm not someone that speculates on price or when the markets are going to come back or down. Uh, I say, I don't know what I don't know. Um, I hope soon, but I have no idea. I'm saying with a high degree of confidence that winter is over. Uh, so why do I think crypto winter has ended? Uh, almost no one is looking at this data, but this data point is, there's multiple data points, but this one in particular is a big, big deal. And it's not reported on nearly enough, nor do people understand or comprehend how big a deal it is. Uh, about two weeks ago, there's an organization called Cambridge Associates that released their report. Cambridge Associates is the most important firm in the world at telling pensions and endowments, you know, Harvard, Yale, uh, uh, you know, the teachers unions, all these organizations, right? What they have to do with their money and what they have to invest in. And they make the recommendation. Cambridge Associates is the closest thing to the word of God to big institutional capital. And so something crazy happened two weeks ago. Cambridge Associates said that everybody needs to have crypto and blockchain as part of their portfolio for the major institutions. So right now, Yale just put some money in a fund. We've got Fidelity. We've got JP Morgan. We've got 10 big institutions that are touching crypto. Cambridge Associates just told the world that they have to have crypto exposure, which means that if you're if, as, as, a, as, a, as a Harvard endowment or as the teachers union, uh, as the California teachers union or whatever it might be, if they don't invest in crypto or blockchain and things go really well, they probably get fired. But if they do invest in crypto and uh, or blockchain and they lose money, they probably keep their jobs. Again, Cambridge Associates, what they say matters. So we're going to go from 10 institutions being part of this to thousands. Now, these institutions move slowly, so it's only been two weeks. So you're going to watch this happen over the next three, six, 12, 24 months. But they recommended, I think, about uh, 30 to 50 basis points of exposure which means $300 billion of capital is coming into crypto because of that release. And that $300 billion is more, you know, crypto's at about 130 billion market and aggregate market cap right now. That number, we have $300 billion coming in. So buckle your seatbelts. Uh, 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 things are, <laughs> uh, get ready for a good time. Mm. You know, that's really interesting because, you know, we've, we've, we've chatted a lot about this in the past. It was like in 2014, you know, there was about, on average, $15 million a day traded in crypto. And then in 2015, it like 3X'd 40-something million dollars a day in crypto. Then in 2016, it was around $200 million a day. Then in 2017, it 10X'd uh, to $2 billion a day. 
Then last year at 5X to about $10 billion a day, maybe a little bit more, depending, $12 billion. And then right now, this so far this year, it's on average around 20 to $30 billion a day is being traded in crypto. So that's like that's like a hockey stick. That thing is just the, the adoption is growing. Even though the price is down, the volumes are going up. And if you're talking about $300 billion coming into the market, there could be some days where those those numbers are just ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's gone up in tether, by the way, uh, on a number of days is 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 now surpassed Bitcoin. Uh, so Bitcoin and tether are are back to back neck and neck for the being the number one position of most traded token. Uh, tether is doing, you know, now about three point five trillion dollars a year of trading volume, which uh, says wow. that there's good, you know, stable coins. Well, tethers, you know, right now in the process of surpassing Bitcoin. Uh, which means, you know, uh, stable coins are going to become the the biggest thing that's guaranteed, I think, at this point. Um, uh, and we're going to be seeing tens of trillions or hundreds of trillions of dollars of trading in uh, traditional traditional assets on this technology in the uh, coming years. And make sure that us lawyers get to stay around, too. It keeps us on our toes. <laughs> well, on that note, optimistic. Um, thanks for sharing with us, Brock and, and Drew, the website, goxrising.com. And uh, we're going to look forward to watching this play out. And it's, I want to see this movie when this film comes out. I'm going to this is going to be a big one. So thanks, fellas. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, may the force be with you. With us all. <laughs> may, 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 uh, may the force be with you. Remember to walk in the light. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Bad crypto. Peace. Take care, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Brock and Andrew. Boy, the, the dude never fails to uh, to deliver, does he? Just so much information, and like you wind him up and watch him go, and he just like well, like you could step away from the mic and go walk around the block, and he's still talking because he's got so much to say. You know, I, I did that. I actually asked him a question, and then I went to the restroom. I came back; he was still talking because then I knew that you would have a question, and then he would most likely still be talking. And so he's just a wealth of knowledge. I mean, my goodness, like it is exactly it. You wind him up. He's going to roll. He is a he is an educator and an entertainer and an entrepreneur. And uh, he's very passionate about the space. And, uh, you know, we ask him some tough questions and, uh, you know, he he, he delivered. I, I think that um, it looks like it's from from our perspective, it looks like his heart's in the right place. Trying to help Mt. Gox become whole and everybody who was part of that, you know, get their crypto back. Right. Um because it is, it was like there. It was like the crypto Lehman Brothers when when that, when that crashed, and um, I remember that. That was actually, you know, I that was one of the times again where I came back to crypto because I got in it early and then I went away and then like, oh, it crashed. What does that mean? And I went and researched it and then, oh yeah, well, see, it's dead. It's a fad. Told you guys. <laughs> and uh, yeah, good stuff. What do we know, Travis? I mean, after all, we're just two dudes talking crypto, two dudes talking crypto, Joel and Travis are just two dudes talking crypto. Oh, yeah. By the way, when you uh, asked that question, went up to go to the bathroom, we actually talked about you. We knew that you were there. And so you hadn't heard the answer. And uh, we were just talking trash about you. We said that, Travis, he's got no diggity. Oh, no. Yeah. Did you help me bag it up? Well, I, there was no diggity to bag up. I don't know. Oh, well, I, See, I, I don't get really- that. I, I don't understand that. Okay. You need to explain this to me. Right? Mm-hmm. That that song, there's like, there's no diggity. So, and then they're like, you got to bag it up. Well, I'm like, it, if you had extra diggity, then you would bag it up. Like, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a to go, like a doggy bag. A dog, a doggity bag, but yeah, <laughs> there was no diggity. So what are you going to bag up? I don't know. Maybe they were talking about dig tokens. They're like, <laughs> you got to bag them up because that is no diggity. There's, uh, I still have a, I still have a bag of of diggity. You got to bag that up, and it's it's worthless. It's it's like <laughs> at one point I think my dig was you know worth several thousand, and now it's worth like a couple hundred dollars, and mm-hmm. it's just I was. It was like my XP. My XP at one point was worth $8,000. Now my XP is worth $190. I can never actually get it out of my wallet to work. That's how good the project was. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I think uh, uh, no fault of uh, of Jason Brink, whose idea the project was. I think that the, the project got kind of taken away from him 
you know, that happens. Like there, there's there's shady stuff that goes on anywhere there's money, right? Anywhere people want to exert power. And so there's some projects that are really good projects that end up going bad because some of the people involved make some bad decisions. Yeah, no diggity. There's no there's nothing to bag up. It's, it's that's true. No diggity. Not a bag. Yeah. Speaking of amazing crypto projects, make sure to go to badcoin.net and sign up for the wait list because we're relaunching Badcoin blockchain, which is a hybrid multi-chain of five different blockchain algorithms. Uh, we did tell Mr. Brock Pierce about it. He's going to do his due diligence and check into it and uh, he's having a conversation with Marshall about, oh, really? Is this interesting? Is this is this legit or not? Well, Marshall Long was part of it, so uh, it should be legit as it can get. So Badcoin will be here and live. So make sure to go to your Open Ledger, uh, BitShares wallet, and if you ever had some bad some Badcoin, if you ever actually ever had a BitShares wallet, or if you had a BitShares wallet in what uh, mid two thousand eighteen, we did a huge airdrop. So like almost fifty thousand people have Badcoin. Yeah, so and if you don't have your keys, we can't help you retrieve them. It's like any other crypto. When you open a wallet, they always say save your keys. Uh, we can't get to it. You know, we don't actually, while we are certainly hodling some bad coin, this is open source code. We don't own the project. It belongs to all of y'all to go and mine it. So when the swap time comes and it is a coming, swap times are coming, then you need to have your keys to get to your bad coin. And that's, that's true. If you do not have your BitShares username and password, no diggity. Yep. And you can't, can't bag it up because, <laughs> but you should bat it up. Mm. Gonna bat it up by staying bad, whether or not you got diggity and you got no diggity. Stay bad. Travis has got no Stay diggity. Bad. I got some diggity. Stay bad. No, you don't have any diggity. I, oh. I, I saw you last week and I'm like, hey, can I borrow some diggity? And you said no diggity. Well, I think I might have bagged it up earlier. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you had none because you so you so, bagged it up and then you got no diggity that's what happens see they got it backwards you know all i know is our uber driver we mentioned that to the uber driver and he <laughs> thought that was hilarious <laughs> it was like yeah what's up with that <laughs> Where's the diggity? <laughs> somebody go review us and give us some diggity would you please mm, and yeah I, bad diggity okay still stay bad The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.